0: Back up top. Shot through traffic. Save made. Follow up try. That one hits a body in front. And a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game. Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side. Through the right circle. Taking it in fed across. They score! Oh! win 3-2 to in overtime! Welcome in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast here on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you are getting your podcasts. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you so much for checking out the show, and it's going to be a lot of hockey talk. We had three games to recap from this past weekend. We have three games upcoming, and there is a lot happening this weekend in Knoxville, as well as one road game this week. So, a lot happening around the holiday weekend, and so we certainly hope that you'll be able to catch as much of the action as you are able to. So, first things first, let's just get right into it and get back to last week. Knoxville played at home Thursday and Friday. They were on the road at Macon on Saturday. Had an early two-goal lead against Peoria. Ultimately weren't able to hang on. Peoria came back, scored three unanswered goals, won the game 3-2, to and then on Friday, Knoxville found themselves down two to nothing early in the second period, tied the game with two quick goals about halfway through the second, and then gave up a go ahead goal for Peoria late in the second period on the power play before getting one back, uh, thanks to Nick Price's second goal of the night before ultimately falling in a shootout. Four to three, two to one was the shootout score. So uh, let's start with that game on Thursday night. I I thought that after Knoxville got off to a really good start, Eric Levine gets pulled. Ben Churchfield comes in. Hadn't played a whole lot this season. And obviously didn't have the best numbers last year at Vermilion County. That might have had more to do with the team in front of him than Churchfield himself. But Knoxville struggled to get shots on goal against Churchfield. So one of Knoxville's first two goals was on the power play. From that point forward, the Ice Bears were 0 for 5 on the man advantage and only managed 15 shots on goal against Churchfield in the final 53 or so minutes that he was out there on the ice. Peoria did an excellent job at possessing the puck and they got three goals all generating opportunities from the perimeter. And so it it was kind of unfortunate for, I, I thought, for Christian Stead who probably would have liked to have had a couple of those back, but I also thought there wasn't really a whole lot that you could do about some of those where you're getting the redirects in front. He had a lot of traffic in front on that goal that came over by the bottom of the left circle. And then the ultimate game winner in the third period, you've got Braden Barker that's able to redirect a Zach Wilkie shot with a lot of traffic in front. And so they managed to redirect it high. It's really tough to be able to get those if you're a goalie. And so Peoria goes on to win the game. And I thought that Peoria just ultimately controlled the outset. They didn't react as if they were down two to nothing after Dino Balsamo's goal put Knoxville up by a pair. And then on Friday, Knoxville got off to a slow start. Peoria started really fast. Caden Cahill had the goal from the left circle that I think Jimmy Perita would have loved to have had back. And then the second goal early in the period that gave Peoria a 2-0 lead kind of continued to make it a more difficult hole to climb out of. But Knoxville managed to get things going, and they did it with some really good passing. I thought Brady Florent, Jagger Williamson, the passing that they had to set up the power play goal to... Justin McDonald was really well done, and you kind of get over the hump because now you finally get one past Churchfield since he's starting that Friday night game. And then Nick Price comes up huge, picks a really good time for his first goal of the season. Balsamo, who loves to push the accelerator and take shots when he has good scoring chances. He holds up at the right circle, sees that Price is coming in through the slot, slides it across to him, and Price is able to split the pads of Churchfield. And so just like that, Knoxville has tied the hockey game. Uh, Sasha Wa takes a penalty right there at the end of the period. And Peoria is able to score the power play goal before the period ends. And that's, you know, one of those mistakes where I, I think you are a little frustrated if you're Knoxville, because you feel like you gave Peoria an opportunity to take back that momentum. And they did and credit to Knoxville price scored off a rebound, uh, some good passing along the uh, wall there where uh, I believe it was Cole McKechnie who found Rasmus wax and back in the corner Waxon Engback is able to get it back up to Kyler Matthews, and his shot ultimately is rebounded back into the net by Price. Um, and and then, of course, shootouts can just go any way. Uh, Knoxville missed a couple of shots where Churchfield's not really having to make a save. Uh, Brady Florent hit the post, just really tough luck there. And Justin McDonald, I think, got the look he wanted at the end, just missed the far side post. And Alec Hagaman and Ben Assad both scoring on kind of on similar moves to get christian stead out of position and that was kind of unfortunate because stead made three really good saves on the other three attempts in the shootout and and so would have loved to have been able to see knoxville get a couple more to to kind of pull that one out especially after trailing for most of the game never leading and being able to claw their way back in that, that, that you would have i think you would have felt like you got two points when you didn't weren't really in a position to be able to take them away and and kind of stepping back from the shootout, Knoxville had a couple of power play chances in overtime, nearly managed to get one through. Churchfield made some really good saves there, had the diving save with a few seconds to go, and then uh, kind of the, the backdoor feed that was disrupted for just a moment to allow Churchfield to get his left pad across. I think that was McDonald that would have had an opportunity to put that one home. So only so much that you can do when a goalie, Uh, makes really good plays like that. And Churchfield ended up being named the SPHL player of the week for uh, his result because then he helped Peoria down in uh, relief when they went down to Huntsville after playing Knoxville. So Peoria won three games. Churchfield came on relief in two of them and uh, has looked really, really good and might be taking over the number one goalie spot down there in Peoria. I don't think John Gietredell is going to give up on Eric Levine just with as long as he's been there. Uh, But I think it kind of goes to show that Churchfield has established uh, that there is a a really prominent tandem over in Peoria for what the Rivermen have been able to put forward so far this season. And then on Saturday, Knoxville goes down to Macon, uh, gets off to a fast start, they score early, and a little bit of a back-and-forth game, and Knoxville ultimately able to pull ahead by two. I'm sure there are some things that Brett Clark wasn't happy about, uh, and and for the first time in a few games, Knoxville was able to shut a team out of when it comes to the power play. Macon went 0-6, but the Mayhem also had two shorthanded goals. And one of them, I don't know if you can really blame the power play unit. McDonald's trying to make a breakout pass from his own end. The puck kind of just slid off his stick. It was really awkward. Rhett Kingston, and that's probably one of the Macon players that you don't want this to happen to, but Rhett Kingston takes the puck inside the blue line. He's able to skate around McDonald because his momentum's carrying him in the opposite direction, and he gets a breakaway chance on Stead. So that's, you know, you don't really want to pinpoint and just say, hey, that's, you know, that's something that can't happen. It's just more of a bad bounce. Uh, the second one that I think you can be a little bit more frustrated with, you kind of get turned over in the neutral zone. It leads to a two-on-one, and you have a guy like Colton Fletcher who isn't afraid to let it rip from the slot. Knoxville fans should know that by now, and so he makes Knoxville pay for it as they're able to break in on a two-on-one. And so Macon kind of gets back into the game with that shorthanded goal, and then Cole McKechnie scores a shorthanded goal for Knoxville to – kind of put Knoxville ahead at 5-3, to three, and then there were no goals in the third period. So the Ice Bears got the insurance marker they needed. They were able to constantly keep making it arm's length, and then when they really needed to, they were willing to just play a shutdown game to make sure that they got out of making with the two points. Things kind of escalated there at the end. Um, didn't look like that any... It wasn't anything serious, but you had a bunch of penalties. You had players talking to each other. You had Caleb Cameron talking to Brent Clark on the ice after the game. It seemed like everything was fine between Clark and Nick Niedert, Macon's head coach. They were seen chatting before the game. They were seen talking after the game. And and so I think everything was fine. Tensions just boiled over on the ice. And you got two teams that are coming off overtime or shootout losses. Macon lost to Pensacola in overtime the night before. And so you've got two teams playing their last game of the weekend, and everybody wants to get a win. So I, I think things just kind of piled up as the game went on. And I think it was frustrating for Macon because you had – a physical game. And there were a couple of moments where Knoxville took penalties, but then Macon took simultaneous penalties. The mayhem didn't get a power play until late in the second period. And by then they were already behind and Knoxville had already had like five or six power play chances. And so you're seeing the game play out like this, where one team is getting significantly more opportunities than the other. And then Knoxville started taking more penalties and it wasn't even so much regarding Just bad discipline. There were a couple of unfortunate bounces. Tanner Salisbury gets a delay of game penalty for lifting the puck over the glass. That's not something you can really dispute um, unless you think that there might have been a deflection. In that case, there wasn't. And so Knoxville did a good job at handling its business on the penalty kill. But And ultimately, hey, you go six for six on the penalty kill. And Cole McKechnie gets a shorthanded goal. You feel pretty good about what the PK unit was able to do. Um, And you got two power play goals in response to that but you also gave up two shorthanded goals. So in a way, everything kind of evens out, but obviously some things that you'd like to clean up at the end of the weekend. And now you move forward to take on three pretty tough opponents. And Roanoke has been a team that's already beaten Knoxville once this season. And now you're going into their barn, which is Knoxville discovered last year is a really difficult place to play. Now uh, the ice bears went uh, one and three in four meetings there last year. So I think for Knoxville, you're, trying to ensure that you can go on the road and pick up another road win. Knoxville hasn't played a ton of road games this year. They're only 3-1 and on the road. They've won twice in Birmingham. They won in Macon. They lost in Evansville on the second day of the season when Ryan Devine was suspended on the way to Indiana. So they were only playing with 5-D. And now you've got an opportunity to... Kind I get another quality road win here? And Roanoke is, is very banged up right now. They, they've got some injury issues that have kind of developed over in the past week, including their top defenseman, Matt O'Day. Uh, Hunter Bersani was placed on the 21-day IR just yesterday. So Dylan Raiden, who was released from his PTO, he's back. Now they get Josh Nenadol back, and that's a, that's a veteran guy who's been with Roanoke for a couple of years. They traded for Jake Goldowski with Birmingham. So that's a player that Knoxville's already seen. And then a couple of their other mainstays. I mentioned Matt O'Day, Brady Hepner, also on the IR. So they've got a couple of guys that uh, are mainstays within that Roanoke lineup that are not going to be there. Now, of course, you have you still have Mac Jansen. You still have uh, Travis Broman, who's had an excellent start to the season. So you have a handful of guys that can still get the job done. And the goaltending's been pretty solid for Roanoke. Um, and, and it was looking like that I, I thought Roanoke was really going to be able to have a chance to to dominate Pensacola when it went down there. Obviously, the injuries might have caught up to Roanoke a little bit, but Pensacola ends up stealing a two nothing shutout win against the Rail Yard Dogs, and I think it goes to show as we move forward, looking later in the week to Friday and Saturday, Pensacola had played a bunch of high scoring games earlier in the year, and you're kind of wondering, all right, well, what's their goaltending t- situation like? Well, it seems like they're starting to figure things out on the back end as well, and. Yeah, you know, the defense is is looking a little bit different this year. You don't have all the same pieces that you had from last year. Like, Dylan Karabi is gone. But you still have Seth Enzer, and that definitely provides you some help. Jay Powell, who played a lot for Huntsville last year. Corey Dennis, who's played in the league before. So, you, you have some familiar faces on defense. But, ultimately, Seth Enzer is that main piece from Pensacola's blue line. And they've been trying to make it work with Christian Pavlos and Henry Johnson, who used to be in Evansville. They got rid of Cody Karpinski. So, it's... A, it's a matter of trying to shuffle things around, figure things out, but they, they won a low-scoring overtime game on Friday night against Macon, and then they went and got a shutout against Roanoke on Saturday, and so pretty impressive for Pensacola, what they're able to do defensively, and then, of course, what they do offensively is probably what they do best. You've got Garrett Milan, who, of course, has had solid season, Griff Jeska, uh, who's a very dangerous player, Yvonne Bondarenko, who can be very, very good, and you look at Whelan Parrish, who is usually piling up assists, so a really good setup man in this league. They don't have Colton Olenek. As of right now, he's been called up to the ECHL. He, he got off to a great start, scored six goals in seven games. So if Pensacola gets him back, then imagine how good Pensacola could be. So it was looking like Pensacola was kind of like Birmingham was last year, just playing all these high-scoring back-and-forth games. Okay, we might give up four, but we're going to score six. And that can wear on a team in the wrong way. Uh, going over the course of a year but if Pensacola is able to solidify its goaltending could be a really tough team moving forward still a lot of hockey to play so let's find out uh, what's going to happen but for this week it's going to be a tough three games for Knoxville so going on the road having to take on the rail yard dogs in the Berglund Center really tough place to play and so far Roanoke's attendance has been really really solid just compared to what they were doing last year after that run to the championship round I, I think really sparked the interest for rail yard dog hockey over in Virginia. So I I would, and who knows what the crowd's going to be like. It's a Wednesday night game. Oftentimes that's a church night. You've got Thanksgiving the next day. So let's see what it looks like. You don't want to make any judgments based on a a Wednesday holiday week game, because I don't think that's the best interpretation of what a team's attendance looked like. But so far Roanoke's had some pretty good crowds on hand there in the Berglund Center. And then Pensacola, always a tough, Uh, Always a tough team, well-coached team with Rod. So I I think that it's going to be a really good three games for Knoxville to see where they're at, especially after giving up those opportunities to beat Peoria twice last week, and then Peoria goes down to Huntsville and wins 7-3. to I I think you would have felt a lot better yourself if the result had stayed the same. You would have felt a lot better yourself if you're Knoxville, having maybe gotten at least one win in those two games. And so this is an opportunity for Knoxville to – really hit the bounce back button. I mean, if, if you sweep this week, you're going to feel really confident going into that uh, two-game split next week where you play on Thursday night, then you play on Sunday, so you have a couple days of rest in between to kick off the month of December. But I, I think it would do a lot from a momentum standpoint if Knoxville could get three wins this week moving forward, especially as more and more teams are starting to play. You're starting to get into the three-game weeks. And so Knoxville's first three-game weekend, they go 1-1-1, one, one, and one, and it's the first time that Knoxville didn't at least get a split, an even split, in terms of wins and losses over the course of a weekend. They had split a couple of two-game weekends. The only one-game weekend they've had, they went and beat Birmingham. So their first three-game weekend, they lose two games, they get one at the end. So being able to bounce back with three wins and get six points I I think would be really impressive for Knoxville, especially considering the... uh, You know, a little bit of attrition that they've suffered. Of course, Andrew Ballon is still in the ECHL. Drayson Pears was placed on the IR. So a couple of pieces missing there and then trying to get back in the win column coming off those losses to the Rivermen. I appreciate you listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast again. Wednesday night, Knoxville will be at Roanoke. The road game watch party will be at Union Place Bar and Grill on Chambliss Avenue in Bearden. And then Friday night. And keep in mind, both home games for Knoxville, Friday and Saturday, are at 6 o'clock, not 7.35. They are at 6 o'clock, so Friday night is Friends Night. Ice Bears are going to be wearing specialty Friends jerseys to commemorate the classic television show. They're going to be auctioned off after the game. And you can purchase an online package at our online team store to paint the ice for the Alzheimer's Association. So you'll be allowed on the ice. You're going to be given a a certain area of the ice that you can paint your message on, and then the players are going to play on it for Saturday night, which is also the Teddy Bear Toss. So bring your new and sealed Teddy Bears, toss them onto the ice after Knoxville scores its first goal on Saturday, and all of those Teddy Bears will get donated to children in need locally this holiday season. It's a great event. Always enjoy seeing all the Teddy Bears that get tossed out onto the ice. So we hope to see a ton of Teddy Bears after Knoxville scores that first goal. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. We'll have the call for you on 105.1 WKCE Wednesday night from Virginia as the Ice Bears take on the rail Yard Dogs. This has been the KIB Podcast. I'm Joel Silverberg. We'll talk to you next week.